0: Support for Film Comment comes from Sundance Institute, home to the Sundance Film Festival, returning January 24th through February 3rd. Additional info, including pass and package details, at sundance.org. Black Panther director Ryan Coogler sat down for a wide-ranging conversation in a one-night-only event, presented by Film Comment and supported by Art House Convergence. Watch the entire conversation with Coogler at filmcomment.com slash blackpanther.
1: Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nicholas Ripold and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment. Every year, we send out a poll to our critics and staff and put together a list of the best movies of the year. For 2018, we decided to do something a little different and fun. We counted down the best movies of the year at a live event, a Film Comment talk at the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Along the way, I discussed the results with a group of our all-star critics. Molly Haskell, Michael Koreski, Sheila O'Malley, and Nick Pinkerton. We recorded it all for your listening pleasure. Be sure also to check out our website for the full list, along with links to relevant articles, podcasts, and interviews. Let's listen to the conversation. Uh, Welcome to the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Uh, My name's Nick Rappold. I'm the editor-in-chief of Film Comment. And this is the best of 2018 talk. Fortunately, we do have the list of the best movies of 2018. Uh, And just before I start, just a few words about Film Comment in case you're tuning in from points very far away or uh, are not familiar. Uh, Film Comment is uh, the magazine and the website and the podcast and the talks uh, that are all uh, put together by our staff. Uh, And uh, what we do every year is we poll our contributors and come up with a list of what we consider the best movies. Um, I also like to say that, you know, I don't believe in just winners take all, so this list should be like a starting point. I know filmmakers often dread hearing about lists uh, for that very reason, Um, but uh, I I think we'll find it's a pretty interesting list. Today we're doing something a little different than we do and have done in past years. Uh, We're going to be going through the list one by one. I would just like to introduce my all-star panel of critics, starting with Nick Pinkerton
2: to my left. Hi, I'm Nick Pinkerton, a regular contributor to Film Comment magazine and sundry other publications, both online and in print. Michael Koreski. Uh, I'm a director of editorial and creative strategy here at Film Society of
3: Lincoln Center and a very common, uh, or rather, a common person, a frequent contributor to Film Comment. He,
1: he, Michael's a commoner. A, well Michael's trying to say he's a man of the people is what he's trying to say. Molly Haskell. Uh,
4: I'm Molly Haskell, author and critic.
5: And I'm Sheila O'Malley, and I write for RogerEbert.com regularly, and I regularly contribute to film comment as well.
1: So uh, I think we're probably just going to dive right into it, and uh, even the panelists do not know what the top ten films are. So you're going to see their reactions live, uh, and I'll simulate surprise or some form of excitement as well. So beginning with uh, number ten of the best of 2018, um, so number ten, Hale County, this morning, this evening, uh, directed by Ramel Ross, uh, premiered at Sundance uh, in January. Questions, comments, queries. I'm really happy to see this in the top ten because this is, I, I think, a, a great, beautiful, challenging film that I hope more people see.
5: Um, I was just at Indie Memphis uh, Film Festival and this uh, screened there, uh, which is it's an incredible film festival. Um, but what was so interesting about this is. Um, mm-hmm and I saw it there for the first time, is it's sort of this moody collage that puts you into Hale County, but he does it in such an interesting way with, like, close-ups of wasps on a piece of wood and a little kid running back and forth, but you feel like you're you're in this space. Um, he's a, such a talented, not just photographer, but I guess what, make someone a talented photographer is how they see. And um, that's what I really appreciated about this film.
2: Um, Yeah, uh, as mentioned, uh, the director has a photography background and was in Hill County, Alabama, for a number of years uh, teaching basketball and photography in the school system there. And as Sheila mentioned, he just has such an extraordinary off-kilter way of putting you into scenes. Uh, I'm by no means a very smart person with regards to photography, but it does remind me in some ways of like William Eggleston and just finding all of these unusual sort of backdoor points of entry into things that you're constantly every time that you're entering a new uh, situation, you're having to sort of orient yourself and you really are sort of discovering this world anew and it's a world that is not necessarily familiar to a lot of us, certainly not me, because it is a lower middle class, middle class, uh, largely black community uh, being seen by uh, a guy who is both inside and outside that community, has access as a guy who's African American himself, but is also definitely a northerner coming into a situation that is, you know, not entirely uh, his own. And the particular tension, as well as the kind of intimacy of the thing, is extraordinary. It's a movie that I'd heard about a lot coming out of uh, Sundance, and... I finally saw it in, uh, at a festival in Denmark, and it had been sort of snowballing, and its reputation had been growing and growing, and being the person that I am, I was like, well, I'm definitely not gonna like this. Like, um, and then watch, yeah, watched it for jury duty, and was just absolutely gutted. Yeah. I mean, it, it also, I think I can say without giving too much away, there is a death in the family Funnily enough, because this is James A. G. country that it's taking place in. Let us now praise famous men. But there's a death in the family that's handled quite unlike I think I've ever seen that material handled. And the absolute lack of condescension or pity that the film has for its subjects and the recognition of grief and at one and the same time a recognition that grief isn't everything, suffering isn't everything, and that, you know, life continues, uh, unabated. It's, it's really an extraordinary movie. It's one of the most, I mean, as soon as I walked out of it, I thought without any question whatsoever, like this is a movie that people are going to be living with and thinking about and talking about for a really, really long time.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think the the term, you know, uh, when a film is impressionistic, we tend to use that uh, it, use that term when it kind of jumps around for a lot of different from a lot of different things, one to the next, seemingly disconnected shots, people, um, and it's certainly a term that like you know popped into my head when I first watched it, but it it leaves a, a uh, an impression that's so much more you know, than any kind of word could describe. I I, um, I think also just. To say, I don't think any of us used the word documentary as we talked about this film, even though technically it's a documentary. Um, it's not really like one that I've ever seen. Um, and I also think the sheer beauty of what you're seeing needs to be commented upon. Um, I think we may be used to these um, you know, documentaries, non-fiction films, however, hybrids, however we want to talk about them, that are constructed of these lovingly crafted, composed images, um, and while this is like that, this kind of pushes it into this r- truly poetic realm. Um, I, I can, I would say, like there was a certain point of the film where, like, shot after shot, I was thinking, I've never seen shots like this in my life. I don't even know how he knew to put the camera where it is. It's so incredibly beautiful.
2: Yeah, I saw it uh, as I may have mentioned on a jury, and one of my fellow jurors was herself a documentarian, and there is a lot of kind of lively debate around the movie, but I do remember one of her comments was, you know, that movie really bothered me because it makes me feel like it does so many things wrong on the face of it and it absolutely works throughout. Like, it it makes me feel like my basic fundamentals are off. And I think that's totally true. There's so many weird, off-balance kind of... Uh, less, like, really intuitive moves that it makes that on the face of it, you would say, oh, that really, like, throws the, like, entire thing off. Like, why are you suddenly interpolating some, like, silent film, like, blackface footage in a film that has no other, like, rupture yeah. like that? Burt Williams shows yeah. up at one point. And and it's actually but,
3: really, really interesting yeah, and it's powerful. it's
2: great. <laughs> I mean, it's absolutely great. It does so many things that, again, just on the face of it, you would think, Oh, I don't know. Let's not rock the boat. You have a really nice sort of texture and uh, atmosphere that you've developed here. You don't want to, you know, tear through that. But every time that it does it, I feel like the instinct is completely, you know, on on the nose. And I absolutely am so excited to see what Ramel Ross will do next.
3: Well, it got a small release. It got a
2: small
1: release, yeah. In August, I think. I kind of love that we're spending so much time on a small film, because what I like about the list is, you know, that we're going to have bigger films, smaller films, and... Just side by side, and
3: they're all very deserving. And, and these were great. all all the films. The, the the only films that were eligible were films that got some sort right. of Some sort of theatrical so it was, release. It, was, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. it showed at Sundance last year, but then it did get released. Um, yeah. Was it Cinema, Cinema Guild? Did IFC? Yes. It played at Cinema, Cinema Guild. Guild. It played at IFC. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was it was a short.
1: And I and I should say that we'll be posting our list on the FilmComment.com website, and we'll have a link where you can watch you know, movies uh, or have a link to a place that tells you where you can watch movies. So I believe that's the case for this one and, and others as well. Uh, so if you like what you hear here, you can, you know, go binge watch for, the, for this weekend. But that was only number 10. We've got nine more to go through. So you got to pace yourselves. All right. So let's go on to the next film on the list, number nine. There we go. Happy as Lazaro. <laughs> I like it. We should have p- applause for each one. I, I also want to hear groans if you're like, oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this, that, <laughs> this is actually the cover of our uh, November December issue, available in stores now. The Happy as Lazaro, directed by Alice Rohr-Walker, uh, who was actually a filmmaker in residence um, at the film, so- film Society of Lincoln Center. And I believe she actually wrote this film while she was a filmmaker in residence, a film that's about, partly about extreme inequality she wrote while in New York. Just saying. <laughs> But yeah, obviously a, a you know a beautiful film, a film with its own kind of rupture in it that you, you know you can't really don't really expect, and and a film that's new but also tapping into like old traditions um, as it follows this kind of young naive guy, maybe almost seems a little catatonic at times, but I don't know, um, and and then following his life as he goes to the city eventually. But I, this was probably a favorite for I think among our our, our critics, right?
4: I wasn't familiar with her work before. I think it's a, a a magnificent film. I think she 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 finds this world that actually did exist of these sharecroppers, and, and it's a world sort of out of time because they, they they, there's this tobacco estate, and that the Marquesa is is treating them like slaves. And then in the midst of this, you have this figure, the kind of holy fool, and he kept reminding me of Chaplin. His walk. Did you notice that that yeah. kind of the yeah, uh, feet like that? Um, and, and you sort of don't know quite who he is and how he fits in, and you follow him through, through this, and, and they finally emancipated, and they they find themselves in sort of different guise in the modern world, and and it's their sort of peregrinations through that. And his friend, who I mean, he sort of he's one of these figures who accepts just accepts what what is. When his friend turns up in this older and sort of not recognizable, this pal that he he played around with and sort of lost and and followed as a a young person. um, He just takes that at face value. And there's something kind of, the grace, it's a character of this kind of inner grace. And then then there's this very abrupt ending, which uh, maybe I shouldn't go into, but (laughs) which is very disconcerting, I think, in the modern world.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, I, this is one of a couple films, perhaps on this list that uh, Netflix released. So you have the you, you had the ability to see it on the big screen well, you know, for a what, brief what amount of time, but you say, can watch it at home. Sorry, go um, on.
4: just one quick thing. I think critics were so uh, right in in urging viewers to go see these so-called small films that are going to be on net, streaming on Netflix uh, to see them on the large screen because actually there's so much going on in them, and there's so much. There's sort of we puzzles that we we sort of try to fit together the puzzle as we go along and we we don't have all the information and even repeated viewing i found seeing a couple of these films again i got so much more out of the second i mean they're very demanding in a in a wonderful way Mm. and so i think yes this this really did benefit like like shoplifters or burning or um zama all of these and of course roma from seeing on Big screen.
3: Yeah, I want to see it again on the small screen just because I want to experience this film again. But again. on the big screen it was it was quite an experience. I like a lot of us uh, didn't really know what to expect. We we went to see it when it was at the film site. I know it had been at Cannes already. Um, but it has some people have compared it to Rip Van Winkle because yeah. it has um, again, not to give away too much about there's a there's a bit of a twist and it sort of it transcends time and space at a certain point. What what initially seems like this neorealist uh, drama about this family somewhere in in Italy at a time that you can't tell. It's like, is this the 50s? Is this the yeah. 70s? Is this the 80s? Suddenly skips over many generations and kind of plops you down in the contemporary day, um, contemporary period. And um, again, that's not, I don't think that's giving up too much away, I think it's actually okay to know that going in, maybe maybe not to know the very end, as you yeah. wisely pointed out. Um, but yeah, there's something so lyrical and special and beautiful about it. And
4: mysterious. I think mm-hmm. several of the films this year had to, that really were just imbued with mystery, and this is why I say see it again and see it on the large screen, because they're oblique, the, the storytelling is oblique, it's not straightforward. And the second time around, you just you you pick up more. You sort of put it together in a way. I think. Yeah, I had
5: somehow avoided any commentary about it. I went into it completely cold, which was a fascinating experience because I I wrote a little thing about it. I was like oh, okay, oh, that's this kind of movie. Okay, no, I got it. I understand. And then, like, 20, 25 minutes in, I was like, oh, oh, no, 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 okay. No, it's this. And I was talking to myself, going, Sheila, just uh, <laughs> accept what's coming. And I was, I mean, I thought it was funny. I thought it was touching. I was fascinated by him. It's a really deceptively simple performance. Mm-hmm. It's It's the kind of thing where... You know, sometimes I'll watch Downton Abbey and you can tell that all of these people have their cell phones. You know, it's like, (laughs) I don't know. um, Not all of them, but some of them. Just out
1: of view. (laughs)
5: That's just my view. You know, period is difficult. And this is a kind of a timeless. But this guy, there there is this chaplain. He's not a modern. He is a, he's from out of a fable. And yet it is a a performance that um, is so open that I was, I loved him. I loved him, mm-hmm. you know, and...
3: And like uh, Yelisa Aparizio from Roma, never acted before. Which is... He's yeah. never appeared on screen before.
5: I th- I Incredible. I mean, I think you know, that his op- he's openness He's like an is,
3: economics grad student or something, uh, I think.
5: So. I mean, this has to be... It's hard to be that open. As human yeah. beings, as we... A child has it, but adults, we get our masks going. It just sort of happens. And at least this character... And he's not an idiot savant or anything like that. He's just open. He's just a nakedness, yeah. He's I'm just open. Are. It's yeah. it's beautiful to be in his presence. And how did she have the genius of casting him? Uh, I was thinking, a, watching yeah, it, going, yeah, how did yeah. she even like do this? Yeah. You know?
1: There's. I just want to also point out there's a great uh, cover feature uh, by Manu yanez Maria. In, in our current issue, um, I, which really gets at a lot of what you're saying, and, and just this notion of hope that the movie genuinely explores. I feel like a lot of, if it, was, if it was 10, 15 years ago, a movie about him, the movie would spend most of the time torturing him. Yeah. I think, right. it, you know, and when right. we're, we like, I don't know, a lot of us grew up in a certain type of art film of the 2000s that would have like a naive narrator or a naive character, and most of the movie seemed to be about that person just being a punching bag for certain types of uh, ideas. And then through that stringency- You can work. just say, dancer in the dark. <laughs>
2: yeah, we can read between the lines.
1: Perhaps. Uh, the house that Jack built opens here on, on, on Friday. All right, well, let's, uh, let's go on to the next on the list. Number eight, the other side of the wind.
3: Here we go.
2: <laughs> we had some
1: grumbles. I there. a groan. <laughs> Been over uh, yeah, some applause for Orson Welles. What's wrong with you
2: people? <laughs> what does the guy have to do? <laughs> Comes back from the grave, gives you a masterpiece, and you groan. <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> well, I'll say um, my first viewing was an experience of total disorientation because it was a very early screening in the wee morning hours. And I had just not been in the sort of Wells headspace for a little while. But to say that I came around on it upon reviewing is an enormous understatement. It's just such a wild, exciting, tense, bizarre experience, among other things like a Kind of object lesson in the fact that, like exploitation and soft-core cameramen in the late 1960s and 1970s, had a almost godlike understanding of optics. And it's this, you know, wonderfully sort of prismatic object that, as probably most of you know, uh, takes place at the 70th anniversary, uh, anniversary 70th birthday party of a sort of two-fisted, macho, hard-drinking film director played by two-fisted, hard-drinking, macho <laughs> film director John Huston, uh, who is sort of a burlesque of Ernest Hemingway, sort of a burlesque of Houston, sort of a burlesque of Orson Welles. And we just watched this uh, craggy, uh, old Toreador slowly falling apart through the course of the evening uh, as layer after layer is uh, peeled back. um, And some some glimpses of certain truths about himself that perhaps he should not like to uh, get a look at uh, are revealed. But I mean, among other things, it's like such a wonderful attempt to summon up the atmosphere of Hollywood in the early 1970s when you have the sort of, the, the so-called New Hollywood uh Taking over the scene, you've got Dennis Hopper in for a couple seconds essentially playing Dennis Hopper. You've still got some of these kind of crustaceous period holdovers from the silent days limping around. (laughs) Uh, You've got the young men with the tape recorders chasing after them. Um, you've got little Bogdanoviches you've got little Bogdanoviches yeah. and like it's just massively entertaining among other things I could not I could just watch hours of Houston swanning around and <laughs> dropping his bitchy aperceus <laughs> around this party um, and I mean yeah it, it's an absolute break with anything else in the Wells filmography. Of course, he didn't see the ship into the port, but I mean, having seen some extant edited footage that he left behind, and having been not wholly unfamiliar with the production process, which is probably as storied as that of any unfinished movie since like Que Viva Mexico, uh, it does seem true to its creator's intent and, uh, yeah, just a, a total uh, total punch in the solar plexus. <laughs> so you liked it? Yeah, it's all right. Uh, <laughs> but, well, I know sometimes opinions are mixed on it, but I don't know.
4: Well, I may have to see it again, but I know, I'm not sure if I can. Um, I, no, I think I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful that we have it. Uh, I'm, I am fascinated by it. I think all, everything you say is true. Um, I think the Neville documentary, while not a great documentary, makes a good companion piece because it... It sort of tells you what's going on and what Wells was doing. I mean, the 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 adulation that he inspires always fascinates me, and that's what I think you see that, even though Houston is at the center. And I think what startled me at first was the the crudeness, not so much the technical crudeness, but the crudeness of, of you know porn and the and the Oja. I think it's more Oja, as much Oja Kodar as it is Wells. And I I don't think those scenes are particularly erotic. I think they're almost comical. And I think, I mean, he always said that he never wanted to have sex in movies because it distracted people. And I think he was right. And that's what people felt at the time. And now he's trying to sort of catch up with the zeitgeist and also satirize it at the same time. Um, I think, again, we're grateful because it's pieces of wealth that we want to have. And there's something horribly tragic about this person whose greatest triumph sort of overshadowed the rest of his life, uh, Citizen Kane, of course. But um, I think it's a mixed bag, but I think it, it, it is, it's mostly, I think, a, a film that cinephiles will have to see, want to see, and will have, and, and I think the Wellesians, of course, um, will declare it a masterpiece of it. That's, what i say? I'd
2: been, I'd been away from Wells for a long ah, time, and this- taking your
4: life in your hands this, saying this, that. This <laughs> dragged me <laughs> back it? in, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I've been pondering Ambersons because I was doing something on, on Ambersons, mm-hmm. which I, I love. It's my favorite yeah. of his film. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway.
3: Yeah, I... i yeah. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Um... Just because you mentioned Ambersons, which is also my favorite of his films, I we just all have our own like um, maybe illusions or ideas about what a finished film is. You know what what is a film? It, It can be you know whatever you discern it to be when it's over. So, I mean, Magnificent Ambersons you've spoken of first this compromised great, you know, this lost work because of what happened to the end of the film and, and then what happened with all the different cuts that were made without well supervision. Robert Wise in the studio when he was down um, shooting. It's all true. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've always maintained that Magnificent Ambersons, even in its truncated form, is one of the greatest films ever made. It's, 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 near perfect that thing that we say about movies i
4: agree
3: so yeah it's a great it's but a great you know
4: the, the 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 wells maniacs will say won't even look at it anymore because right. they, they have the, the the script in their head well and, if, they can't and because it,
3: wells himself says that he can't watch it he cries yeah, that's yeah, totally understandable yeah. but as a, as an object that we understand as movie watchers it's a great great experience and an amazing film that said i feel like other side of the wind like i watched i watched it and i thought well that's not a finished film That's not a movie. We don't know if this is the thing that Orson Welles wanted to show to us. It's a radically edited, incredibly beautiful film at times, but it really, we have to just go on faith that this is the thing that he wanted to put out in the world. And then um, then I think but how is that different from the way that I assess Amberson's, right? So I do have to kind of just take it at face value and assume that what's being presented to us is a film. I do find it maddening. I find it frustrating. I find it um, incredibly beautiful, and I'm still kind of (laughs) working through my thoughts on it.
2: There's only one bit in it which really threw me off and it comes right at the top which is the stills of the car crash and Bogdanovich's narration mm-hmm. which is clearly an addition because Bogdanovich makes reference to the fact that there weren't cell phones back yeah. then. <laughs> <laughs> and luckily that's, that's, feels like yeah, luckily that's got out of the way quite well, there's quickly. A moment I
4: think they're showing the film within a film at a drive-in or something the reels get mixed and somebody says the reels got mixed and somebody else says well it doesn't matter and you could sort of say that about the whole film in a way. <laughs> the reels could go, almost go anywhere. Yeah.
1: Well, w- we, well, it did only okay. make it number eight, so I guess just to, to put <laughs> things in get it perspective. Say, uh, in on it. We got a few more to get to, um, so um, we should do a separate Wells podcast. That's what we should do. Mm. Uh, all right, moving on to number seven. Yay! <laughs> Directed by Claire Denis. We also have a podcast with her if you want to listen to it. Another cover film. I promise I didn't stack the deck here. These are from actual vote totals. But yeah, I don't know what to say about this movie. I love this movie. I find it f- funny and, and and beautiful and uh, has really has shot to the top in terms of my favorite closing sequences for, for a movie. Uh, if you've seen it, you know, you know what I mean, but it uh, involves uh, Gerard Depardieu. Is, is there love for this film, I hope, I trust? Well,
5: I told you, I...
4: This is one I think I would have liked better if I'd seen it again. I liked it. Yeah. I just felt I, I didn't know quite where she was getting at the Juliette Binoche character. I sort of never believed that she was an artist. She was too busy being—I mean, the, the multiple sex—and I, I do think I would like it if I if I saw it again. I just yeah. somehow. Um, I, I, somebody else talk about it because it. Well, it's not. I love Claire Denis. It wasn't my favorite Claire Denis film. Let's just say that.
3: Um, I think because you know her movies are so puzzling when you first see them. Mm. I do. I do tend to go back if I can and try if to watch I that was going to be on the
4: list. I would it again. You so should have given us a hint. That proves it's all a surprise. So,
3: <laughs> so I, I I saw this three times in the theater because wow. I just wanted to keep experiencing yeah. it. Um, and just because it it coasts so much on the weird ebbs and flows of Juliette Binoche's uh, emotions as an actress, just yeah. in one scene. There's this one scene in that bathroom downstairs, where she's talking to her her oh, best yeah. friend, That's and great. she is giggling. One se- it's all in one take. Then and, and then and then she's weeping, and she just goes up and down these cascades of mm. emotions. And the whole movie feels like it's just it's t- attuned to that on that wavelength that, that yeah. Julia Binoche, I just think is the most exciting actor working, basically. Every time she's in something, it's just so thrilling. Yeah. Um, and there's something kind of high wire about that here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this the, this movie, I think when it, it was, um, I'm not sure you can probably answer better, Nick, because so I know you've written about it at length, but I think when it came out, people were saying it was an, ad- an, an adaptation of Roland Barthes, which is sort of now Lover it's is discourse, love, yeah. Right. Mm. Now it's more that she said she's sort of inspired it was like an yeah, idea curl inspired point. by. But there is something sort of like fragmented and abstract about the way that it deals with relationships and emotions and dating mm. and it kind of takes a lot of cliches of those, you know, find your soulmate movies and mm. like turns them over on their head. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of uh, puts her in encounters with like a, a variety
1: of of people who are wrong <laughs> for various reasons, and you get to see how how she she deals with it. Um, uh, I mean, I I guess you know it's it's interesting because it's it's some people said, oh, it's Claire Denis doing like a romantic comedy, um, <laughs> um, and I don't know if that's totally wrong or yeah, or okay. a bad thing. Part, probably, and I, I think yeah. you know yeah. she did well.
2: Yeah, and it's worth noting that this was kind of a way to pass some time while she was waiting to make High Life. Couldn't be a more d- No, I mean, and the comparison I, I keep turning to is it's like the Chung King Express to High Life's, like, Ashes of Time, the Wong Kar Wai. Mm. Like, just a little something to knock off on the side. Mm-hmm. But it's so effervescent. It's so funny. It's so d- deeply, like, at one and the same time, like sad and optimistic, full of sort of the particular pleasures of sex at middle age, which is not a like subject that is perhaps been done to death. And it's just chock-a-block with like great characters. I'm thinking of like the shitbag actor who like <laughs> drains 17 oh. like uh, beers. Nicolas uh, that yeah. scene is The hysterical. comic timing like, in that scene he, is He, so he so just
3: perfect. puts the beer down and he, every time he picks it up, it's, it's out of shot <laughs> and then it comes in shot <laughs> at the Four. bar.
2: He, that's yeah. the guy with like the straight edge back piece from Beau Travail, right? Or am I? Uh, I don't believe in that. Man.
3: He's in white material though. Okay, okay. Oh. He's like the layabout son in white material.
2: Um, <laughs> yeah, I like, my fondness for this movie could not possibly be any greater. It's a little disconcerting, actually. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we can, we can sit with it. Yeah. Um, all right, well, let's move on to number six, Shoplifters. Oh, we have Shoplifters-o-files in the house. That's good. I don't just. I just feel like I'm gonna sit here and say, yeah, that's great, that's great, <laughs> over and over again. But yeah, another beautiful, and also just a totally different milieu in terms of like a, a family by a director who people always say he makes movies about families, and you know, that you know, some people feel like they they some of them run together a bit, but this is one that I think maybe because of that takes you by surprise. I think.
4: Uh, well I love it. this is my favorite um, I, I just discovered Coriator recently and I've been looking catching up on him and I just think he's fantastic he does i think he can sometimes his films are over long there are times when you really but i think not this one this family um, lives in this kind of almost shantytown shack and you you don't know what their relationships to each other are you it, you only gradually find out and what I love about him even when he when he holds a camera like the, I mean, what it is is a makeshift family. And when you th- you see the father and what you think is the son in the opening scene, shoplifting, and then you know, giving the fist pump, then it's only gradually that you find out, and I don't I don't want to tell too much for people that haven't seen it, but the, the, they, the relationships aren't what they seem. They kidnap a girl early on because she's been, she, they recognize that she's being abused in her family. And the idea is the families you make are better than the biological ones. Um, they have a, the grandmother there who sort of presides over it. But even that is something of an illusion as it unfolds. And for instance, the wife, who's so maternal with these two children, at the end, the fa- it's hard to talk about it without talking about the ending when they get exposed. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't know. Better not. But what, what happens Nothing is, is it, what it seems. Yes. Yeah. Nothing is and, what it and seems. And and he, he, ling- he lingers, and, and there's a scene with the, this woman talking to a social worker, and the camera stays on her and stays on her and stays on her, and then you realize that something is happening all the time, that little sparks of of appreci- of insight, something is changing as you're watching it. So it's, it. It's just fantastic, I think. It's
5: one of my favorite yeah. acting moments yeah, this year, yeah. is that scene. I mean, the rhythms of the majority of it, if you've seen it, you know, it's like sort of you're kind of thrust into how they operate as a group. And so you're like, oh, this is how they shoplift. And, oh, here's their family. Like, p- introductions are, you're on your own. You just kind of have to figure it out as you go. But by the time things start to, you know, I don't know. like Unravel. An hour <laughs> in. I mean, yeah, it, way you know, in, yeah. It starts to, by that point, you're in the family. You know where they you know their routines, you know. And when that curtain comes back, I mean, it's. I was like heartbreak, devastated, yeah. and um, I mean, I was just like, no, oh my god, yeah. Yeah. oh no, you know, it was like that. And yet, everything that happens
4: makes perfect sense. It makes perfect yeah. sense, yeah. and you
5: can see it. I mean, I've seen it a couple times, and then you're once you, it's it really benefits. That one really benefits. Um, same with uh, Lazaro, I think. Um, oh, it yeah. benefits from watching it again. It's a comp- almost a completely different experience because now you're in on it.
4: There's a moment with the. The, the father and, and adoptive son, where the son is telling him about something he read about fish, about these little fish. First of all, you suddenly realize the man can't read. You know, he, he says, he's read something in English. The father says, I don't speak English. And then he says, I don't even speak Japanese. I don't read Japanese. And the son has read this story. And it's about fish who group together to as a, become a family in order to, stave off a larger fish and it's sort of the metaphor for this family that comes together to stave off because they're living in this society in which they have no purchase I mean their they're day, <clears throat> day labor' off the grid completely off the grid. I mean they barely have running water it's just is that kind of minimal existence anyway it's just this this incredible the way they coalesce like that and then suddenly and they sort of disintegrate.
3: Yeah, I mean, I've I've been so pleased to watch this. This movie won the Palme d'Or at Cannes this year, and I've been so pleased to see the outpouring of support for it, and it's kind of breaking through and doing really well because I've just been a Coriata fan for so long, and it's so gratifying. Um, And For anyone who's... This is actually playing here at Film Society right now, and if anybody sees it and wants to know more and see more, I highly recommend, especially these movies, uh, Afterlife, Still Walking, and Nobody Knows, Still Walking... Um, is especially uh, amazing to me for the way that it condenses a lot of these ideas into this really short time frame it all takes place in one afternoon it's one family who's you slowly come to realize that what they're doing on this day where they're just cooking meals enjoying each other's company what they're doing is they're still honoring um, a dead family member from many years earlier and the way that it deals with grief and food and belonging and love and it's and really <clears throat> incredible. Yeah. And and anger. anger,
4: the mother's anger yeah. at this figure who has been saved by her son, and she 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 won't let yeah. it rest. Uh-huh. And these, the, the burns along, and the one I've just seen um, after the storm.
3: Oh, that was very nice. Fantastic
4: yeah. about this ride. Right. I, I mean, there are these these men who just can't quite put it together. They put it together once, and they can't do it again. But the mother is so so glad that the father has died, and just so she's this exultation over that she's still angry at him. I mean, you, I mean, there's something so alive and vivid about that. Well, and,
3: and, and what happens in this movie that then you, you were both saying just the incremental realization mm-hmm. of what's really happening. He is such a master of that, and because it's happening and still walking, and nobody knows, which actually pushes it into an extremely tragic, mm-hmm. almost hard, too hard to watch realm.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, he, uh, there's some, the, the way that he parcels out information. Um, is sort of unparalleled, I think, in contemporary narrative cinema.
0: In a very special live stream event that took place on November 27th, Black Panther director Ryan Coogler sat down with Film Comment editor-in-chief Nicholas Rapold for a wide-ranging conversation. This one-night-only free screening and talk, presented by Film Comment and supported by Art House Convergence, offered audiences the chance to experience the acclaimed film on the big screen with their local communities. Watch the entire conversation with Coogler at filmcomment.com slash blackpanther. Support for Film Comment comes from Sundance Institute and the Sundance Film Festival, returning January 24th through February 3rd. Presenting world premieres of independent film, along with live music, filmmaker conversations, and more. Screenings in Park City, Salt Lake City, and Sundance Resort, all in the festival's home state of Utah. Additional info, including pass and package details, at sundance.org.
1: All right. Now I understand why the Oscars are so hard to time out. Um, it's just it's it's all, see, it's there's so much to say and do and You are doing for the gig? We don't is even that what have this is. I am just I'm just saying I understand the challenges. We don't even have any dancing or anything. All right, let's uh, we're on the final 5. For those listening at home, you can cut the tension with a knife in here. I, I see beads of sweat on people's foreheads. All right. So number 5, please. Western. Wow. Yeah. We have approval in the audience. Valeska Grisebach is the director. And um, thoughts, comments? This is a movie about, I guess, um, migrant workers in- They're, they're the, Bulgarian. They're Bulgarian in Germany, right? Yeah. And, and they're, here, they're here for some sort of, I don't know, a dam, building a dam or, or
3: something like that, right? She's, she's made quite a few films, but um she's really just kind of breaking through with this yeah, movie this would be the last you know. of yeah. um, i I will let someone else take the lead though
4: well i, I can't again i would have I would have loved to look at it again before this because I saw it last year at the festival, and my memory is not that great, but i mean i think I think she's been influenced by american i mean it's not like an American Western, yet there's a kind of influence there i think and of, of these figures, and yet she gets them. It's an amazing film for a woman to get that much inside a male group because they're sort of defined by the group. I don't know, let somebody else talk more about it because I just don't want
3: the details. No, I mean, I think think that's very true. I mean, Nick, I know you're a particular fan of this. You should talk too. But I mean, I feel there is something sort of singular about the experience. I mean, the title leads you to believe it's a certain kind of film. It has traces of that in it. But it is very much about how men interact Mm-hmm. Um, and how you know how kind of how everything they do is sort of driven by codes of masculinity. Yeah, and it's really yeah. fascinating to watch a film kind of written directed by a woman that's about, that's about that.
4: You can't believe they would even allow this bit to be exposed in a way. And they they are, right. they are people she found, right? I think. Or sure. well, the lead uh, anyway. I think that's right. The lead, yeah. Another yeah, great yeah. example right. of a, right. a kind of a non-professional, right. amazing yeah. looking yeah, lead. lead actor.
1: Yeah, he has this kind of ready for like you know a fifties western poster right. kind of face. Profile. Like, yeah. like is, Man or exactly. Yeah, yeah. He just <laughs> needs just needs a Stetson on top yeah. and. Uh, Uh, Yeah, I mean, and it's, you know, it's about them, the kind of interface between them uh, with with the the people uh, that that are there. And, you know, obviously some of the Germans are are, are not happy with interlopers uh, in, in the area. So you have that as a topical tension, but this is never a movie that becomes about like immigration and what do we do. It's, it's really like granular, really micro about the, you know, the, their, um, how things develop from there. Yeah, I don't know. I, I hope this is a movie that people can seek out and watch.
3: I'm sort of fascinated when movies that are this subtle and this, in a way, sort of conceptual, the way she deals with actors is very conceptual. The, that a, when a movie like this engenders so much passion, yeah. it would be great Like if for someone on this panel who put it at number one, say, yeah. I just want to know more about why people love it so much. As, as an admirer, I'm definitely
4: yeah, yeah, an admirer. I'm, I'm
3: with you on that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's
1: definitely a movie that, you know, seems to have, because it stood the test of, 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 you know, almost a year for, for yeah. a lot of people. Um, but it just, it, sticks, it <laughs> sticks in your head. And I'm really glad because it's exactly the kind of movie that, you know, somehow would, would fade away because it's not a well-known director, you know. It's, um, but uh, now, now she is well-known, as of now. It, um, so let's go to number four. Ah. Ooh. Didn't, didn't see that one coming, did we? Uh, Roma. Roma. All caps, Roma. Although I've heard different opinions on that. It's all caps, maybe not all caps. Who likes Roma?
5: I mean, I saw it. Um, I've seen it twice. And, um, I mean, for me, it's, this may sound simplistic, but for me, it really is the visuals that is what it looks like and is um, the way the camera moves and... Um, uh, which tr- kind of you're following them down or you're following the waves. And it's f- so intricate. And and I know other people can talk about the characters, but I, for me, I, it was um, a, just a riveting experience. Um, and knowing about filmmaking, I mean, just the background extras alone. I mean, every scene has hundreds and hundreds of people. And it doesn't feel like your regular background where it's like, you know what, actors would call peas and carrots, peas and carrots. You know, it looks like we're talking, (laughs) but we're not really... It's like you go down the city street and you see, like, a man struggling with a man. It feels like pantomime. I was talking with a friend. It almost feels like, hey, what are you doing? You know, but you're past. And it's life. And everyone's in period costume. And everyone's in... I can't even begin to imagine the level of control that that and had choreography. to and choreography yeah, yeah. because you are thrust or like the scene where the martial arts and the all the guys are arts, doing martial yeah. arts and they have this argument and then the camera pans and there's like hundreds of people jumping on army jeeps. Uh, it feels like there's got to be a hundred people yeah. um, and they're doing that off cam- I don't know. Just the technical aspects of it I found riveting and I love it more and more. now I'm like looking at the ba- I want to do a thing just for myself of like just watching what's happening in the background. This has nothing to do with the actual story, but I just found the way that it was told was super, I just felt really sort of energized by it and um, fascinated by it.
4: Yeah, I think you're right, I think, to emphasize that because it's an unfolding, it's a very intimate drama, but it's unfolding on a large canvas and I think that's always important. It's not just um, a sort of little um, you know domestic drama although the domesticity is deeply important and the domestic is, in in effect, the star of the film. Mm -hmm. Um, I think she's magnificent. Mm -hmm. another non-professional, right? Mm -hmm. The shift as the power, and in in the beginning, both they're they're both attached to men who end up um, uh, sort of betraying them. And gradually, the, 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 the mother is seen as a kind of almost stereotype figure in, at first. She's a wounded wife, and she's just a housewife in this very nice, upper middle-class home. But gradually, she emerges. And I thought that people have talked a lot about the, the, the maid character, who's fantastic. But the mother, too. And that scene on the beach is, is just overwhelming, I think, when they the, the almost drown and she saves. It's just heart-stopping.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, it, it's become this consensus pick, weirdly, right? Um, which is, is such a, it's a kind of a wonderful surprise in a way, right? It's something that we can all agree on. Roma is an yeah. amazing movie. Um, it looks incredible. It doesn't feel like it's A story that's been told before. It feels Mm -hmm. like a different perspective than we're used to. She's a character we don't see. Um, It just seems like it it hit at the right time, and Netflix's strategy for however we might have thought has turned out to be the right one for getting people to actually see it and getting it for what it's worth in the awards conversation. But it's also interesting to kind of bring up, you know, the debates around the movie are really worthwhile and interesting. I mean, we could just... I, again, I think this movie is incredible, but it's interesting to, for it to become a talking point film and to be the center of a conversation about perspective and who gets to tell certain mm. stories. Well, just yeah. the
5: Twitter conversation about it is really well worth. You just sort of um, the Latino critics, and um, you know, some love it, some have serious problems with it. Some are, are writing. What are the
4: problems? With it?
5: Um, you know that it's. A story from his perspective Uh about his maid and that it's romanticizing Uh her um, and that the tradition of um, I just read a really interesting piece about sort of the tradition of films about domestics in Latin American Mm -hmm. cinema that was a very (laughs) in-depth piece Um, and she did not seem to have a a problem with Roma so much but anyway I, I find it to be a really interesting conversation about um Perspective, and I, you know, from just from, and I'm learning a lot reading it. But from my pers, she seems like you know, she's got a life. She's got you know, this boyfriend. She's got a mother that we never. She's a subjective hear as a about. character can be, I think. You know,
4: yeah.
5: Um, she has a pretty complex mm. life. What I thought was, um, again, this is sort of. Uh, related to how it's told and the unique way it's told is that, you know, we've got this middle slash upper class family just sort of in a bubble of their privilege, even though their driveway's too small for their galaxy <laughs> and there's dog poop and all this stuff. It's like, and the dog never goes inside, which I just thought was so yeah, hilarious. Right, um, yeah. It's the hailing, and the dog's like, okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, so we have the, you know, marital strife. And then we have political upheaval and student protests and uh, cops in riot gear. And in a conventional film, that would be the story. That would be the story. It would be about the family and it would be about what's going on and the political, you know, all this stuff going on. And we, it still is a, a presence, but she is sort of strolling, th- strolling through it, um, not oblivious to it, but You know, she's got other things on her mind. Um, And uh, so I thought that was a really interesting perspective. It prioritizes her, at least her movements through the house, her movements through the streets. We're following her the whole time, and we hear the snatches of the conversation, of the arguments, which in another type of film would be center stage. Um, So I thought that was interesting, but I would definitely recommend looking into all of these other conversations about it, which have been going on since TIFF, you know, mm. especially when the consensus, I always try to resist. I always want to interrogate consensus a little bit. I'm cranky that way, but I just want to make sure, you know, I want to be uh, responsible with how I view things. That's all.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'd be super happy to not like it at all, but I, I find it to be an extraordinarily... At all points, intelligent and deeply felt film, in terms of perspective, that it does this kind of gloss on, like what Macy knew, the Henry James mm. novel, yes, that mm. it like it's very much like mm-hmm. that, that it f- is filtering all of this information through someone who is able to put things together that all the other family members who are kind of. Uh, squirreling away their own little pieces of the story might not be able to piece together this presence who's not really noted. And I think that same kind of tweaking of perspective really is part of what makes it such a visually impactful movie because it's not just that he's corralled together hundreds of people, as you mentioned, but it's the fact that you have a sense of all these sort of individual trajectories going on it's very rarely being filmed for epic effect, the sort of political upheaval that you mentioned, this sort of street fight. We get Reds snatches of it, yeah. but it's mostly from a second story like furniture shop. And, and she has something
5: else going on yeah. Yeah. at that point. If you haven't seen it, yeah. I won't mention it. But, you know, so something very personal that has to be dealt with immediately is happening as student protests, students are being killed in the street, which is is how life happens. Yeah. I mean,
2: And yeah, and there's a sense almost that it's a very, very carefully and thoughtfully framed and shot movie moment to moment. But you do have a sense that you could tilt the camera in any direction and things would still be going on outside Mm. of the frame, that like life does not end within the boundaries of the frame. And, And finally, I think I just mentioned and you talked uh, about the dog shit in the carport, but, like, it has a really light touch, but uh, maybe that's not a word that a lot of people would associate with this movie, but I think in terms of how it treats, like, domestic labor without leaning too heavily on it, you do have a sense of the very mild sense of panic that sets in when certain things haven't been done, when the dog shit is amassing in the carport, but you have to put the kids to bed, and at one and the same time, the lady of the house needs a cup of tea or something like that. The actual sense of like being tugged in several different directions by all of one's duties, I think, does come across quite a lot and the moments where tempers flare and somebody gets snapped at are really quite painful
4: well and the childbirth or the miscarriage scene that's that's a really audacious and it's a fairly long scene and fairly graphic it's,
5: and one you know there aren't there are long takes yeah. so her, she's having that experience before our eyes which again i mean is it's um, it's, it's devastating. Yeah. I went to see it with my friend at IFC and I had already seen it and she literally just dissolved mm. into tears in that
4: moment. And for a, a male director to do that I think it's kind of extraordinary. For sure. Yeah. Yeah,
3: um, I, yeah one more thing. I know, I know we have to <laughs> move on to the next movie but Roma is that kind of movie. It, it engenders <laughs> a lot of conversation. I just wanted to pick up on something that Molly was saying because it really is true and it didn't strike me until I'm sitting here hearing you talk about it how much the narrative of the mom, of the mother, the upper upper middle class woman, has been sort of left out of conversations about the film. Because while I was watching, I know in conversations about Mm -hmm. the the perspective in class, while watching it the the two times I saw it, I was so, so like hyper aware of it being about these two women going through their kind of parallel traumas, Mm -hmm. right? The the mother is, the husband is cheating on her and moving out of the house and leaving her alone with all these kids and not giving her any money to raise them. And in this very moment, uh, Cleo's character comes and tells her that she's pregnant. And so she has this a list in the chaos of the room as the camera pans. There were just so many moments where I was so like hyper attuned to each woman's distress mm-hmm. in different parts of their lives. And I think that the movie is very empathetic that way in the way that it actually I don't think that it falsely equates anything between mm-hmm. these two women's experience.
5: Well, but the fact that it was about these two women is very end interesting. That the w- mother is a I'm sorry to cut you off, but that that mother is like a biochemist
4: yeah mm. whoa yeah. oh yeah. And okay
5: house for, yeah. and she you know what happened to that yeah you know it's like this buried you might miss it
2: yeah. you know
5: i thought it, it was also, really interesting
2: it also has a nude man doing like kendo with a curtain rod <laughs> it was, um, amazing. Amazing. Yeah. so i mean for that alone uh, it's, no it was incredible it's top 10 <laughs> material i'd say <laughs> it
1: it has everything and more we're gonna have to move along okay number three please
3: well, this certainly won't have any... Debate. First Reformed, uh, directed by Paul
1: Schrader, also a past contributor to Film Comment, um, although that is not why it's number three. So, <laughs> what do we think about First Reformed?
5: I was totally rattled by it. The first time I saw it, I literally, I was completely... Uh, it was one of the rare, You Were Never Really Here was another one that kind of... messed me up for, like, a day. I was, like, trying to... So I... And I've seen it since. I think it's... I also saw Juliet Naked this year. Uh, So Ethan Hawke, like, in Juliet Naked and First Reform, I was like, okay, he's as brilliant as, you know, it's, like, two completely different. But I think this is one of his best. Uh, It's difficult to picture somebody else in it. Like, the torment is in his voice. It's, you know, this portrait of a... It's in Schrader's, it feels like this is the movie. I think he said something like, This is the movie I always said I would never make, or like, This is the craziest movie that I've been wanting, you know, thinking about for 40 years. And it feels that way. But he, he's very, very controlled in how he films it. I mean, from the first shot alone, which I, I the second time I saw it, I was like, why is this first shot working so well? Like, well, he's just moving the camera towards the church. I mean, what is the, (laughs) but it has this feeling of, I don't know. I don't know if I can put it into words. Um, And then it bears out in the the film. So I was extremely, like, like, for about 24 hours, just a little messed up. Hmm. Which I love. It's one of my favorite experiences. I so rarely get that.
1: Yeah, um, I feel like we've almost entered a speed round at this yeah. point. But if any any other thoughts,
3: quick thoughts oh, um, on First Reformed? First Reformed is a movie that I'm I'm much more interested in hearing other people's emotional responses to. I had, uh, I I found it to be mesmerizing, visually, yeah. and then also kind of silly sometimes. I want to watch it again. I it, my my instant response, to it was like. Another Paul Schrader movie. I mean, and I'm glad that he's kind of getting his due. He's an, an important artist, and I certainly love the films that he's written for Scorsese. And I think Ethan Hawke is quite extraordinary. I love I love him generally. and I think he's brilliant in this film. Something about the Schrader template felt, and uh, I know, felt kind of imposed on this. Mm-hmm.
4: Um, I've never felt he was an intuitive filmmaker. I think he's he's a he's an intellectual, and he's a Obviously he's fantastically knowledgeable and I love that. That first shot I think is is beautiful but somehow I never was engaged by this character and I kept seeing all that Brisson and then the Hitchcock, the sort of swirling camera at the end. I mean, it just, I felt like he's channeling all these directors that he admires all the time and I I, I felt the way you did. It's pretty explicit. I mean, I think yeah, the, first, I know. The, references the first scene quite, is like
5: Winter's Light. I
4: mean, there's yeah, not even a, yeah.
5: I think it's even identical to yeah. it.
2: It's funny because I have no doubt that all of that's there, and certainly Bresson's always there with Schrader, but yeah. I didn't think once about any of the sort of cinephile reference points while watching it. What I did think about is the fact that a conversation that I've had over and over again uh, in recent years, and this yeah, may get me locked up, uh, is, so where, where are you going to be when you blow the vest? Like,
4: yeah yeah,
2: and I do think that this is a movie that just grasped something of just the total free floating despair of the moment, and I feel like I say this about one movie every year, which must mean that I've spent my entire adult life <laughs> mired in terror,, um, but suffice it to say, like by the time we like. Cross the finish line, and Hawk is wrapping himself in a barbed wire hair shirt and has gone subverbal and is just communicating in absolute, like, guttural groans of agony. I was not very aware of, like, cinephile antecedents or something like that, just completely mired in the horror of it, which I think is. Oh, God, I, I, I'm i like circling around saying, you know, it's the movie we need right now, so I'm just going to shut myself <laughs> up. <laughs> but yeah, you're not 80. wrong, but yeah. that's not, yeah. you know, that's not what I yeah. took from it. Well, I mean, I love the idea
3: of having a pure experience with this film, because I, I could see that was what Obviously, that, that should be the intention with any film, but I could see like, oh, the debates that it's engendering about uh, the world right now and climate change and, and terrorism and the, and the despair that we feel in an ever, just every single day. These are I want to see a movie about those things. And it, was, it, it just felt, I don't know, it felt schematic to me. So by the time we get to that emotional conclusion, I wasn't, I was I sort of outside I, yeah. of it but I really admire it and I really want Paul Schrader to get every possible award. For me, the schematic
5: part of it was like it felt like an allegory. It felt like a little removed from just from even how it was filmed, like these long conversations with long pauses and staying on one face. It felt um, very weighty, very um, deliberate. And uh, I was sort of sucked into it mostly through... Um, Ethan Hawke's, I would say, yeah. performance
2: might be a Rorschach blot for one's psychological well-being at the time when one watches it. Bella Health
3: uh,
1: for me. Yeah,
2: very strong Cedric the Entertainer performance. I'll just add. Oh, just see me afterwards, okay? okay?
1: All right, we're down to the final two, and and I'm told that the internet has in fact crashed from the traffic of people wanting to know what the final two film comedy movies is. So you're in the right place, because this is live right in front of you. The entire internet. All of it, the whole thing, just just like that. All right, so without further ado, what is number two?
4: Oh, great. Oh, great.
1: Great.
3: Biggest applause of the night.
1: Number two, Burning. Burning, another cover story, our September-October cover story. I love it.
5: And Nick and I discussed it on the podcast. We did, yes, we
2: did. Um, and yeah. Nick Finkerton as well. Yeah. More like boring. That's my <laughs> comment.
4: <laughs> what? Oh, what a We kill went through this on the podcast already. <laughs> well, I loved it. Um, I, I, I think um, it's it's a very mysterious film. The Murakami story is is very mysterious, as his stories tend to be. There's something... It's a kind of um, you never know where again, you know, it, it's interesting, because Secret Sunshine There's a character in Secret Sunshine very much like the writer, the sort of doofus writer in this. and 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 that one, it's the woman comes to this town and the mm-hmm. and the, it's a car mechanic. And he's a bumpkin and when her, her son is kidnapped, she thinks he's the one that did. It. And of course, it's the smooth guy, the school teacher that was a villain. And so you have the same kind of, Fascinating triangle here of the of the and the and the girl is one of I think what the objection a lot of people have is that she disappears after two, half or two thirds of the film. But that too, I think, just kind of Increases the sense of mystery. Well, let somebody else talk to you. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean, I absolutely love this movie. I, this you talked about um, Sheila feeling like really rattled. How about after the ending? First oh, that's This one, one left me very, rattled. Yeah. I don't want to give away what happens at the yeah. end for people who haven't seen yeah. it. But this this is one of those movies where you're constantly negotiating, you know, the your own feelings with what's happening on the screen and what the characters might be feeling, and uh, you don't really understand people's motivations and then you start to realize well that must be what this is about this is so opaque this must be about what are these people's motivations and I, I, and I think you know Stephen Yoon who plays this kind of um, Gatsby-esque playboy character who comes onto the scene midway through um, he, he just he embodies all that ambiguity so so brilliantly sort of terrifyingly and also
5: charmingly so seductive oh mm-hmm. yes yeah that's sort of um, there's a blank there like like in, I think in the first scene he says he's smiling when she's crying, like he's, he doesn't understand tears. And I remember seeing it going, ding, 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 (laughs) a little scary. Um, (laughs) But there's something off. But I felt the thing that I reviewed this for Ebert that I felt was it takes place in, you know, borders. It's bordering. Mm you know, the sounds of propaganda not coming right. from the border um, of with North Korea, but there's borders between sort of dream and reality. There's borders between uh, rich and not rich. Like, how does this guy have this apartment? Like, what does he do? Like, there's a lot of class stuff. Um, and Gatsby is, of course, it's very explicitly, Explicit, you know, okay, yeah. Daisy and Nick and Gatsby. It's like they're, they are um, smoking weed, though, but <laughs> um, And I, I, you know, it's long And I remember hearing that And I just was like, well, it's as long as it needs to be I mean, I was very into the mystery of it, it
3: And where it goes It didn't feel long to me at all It, it didn't felt, either I know I, it's about two and a half yeah. hours mm-hmm. it, it, Again, because it's, one, it's a thriller of a sort, but you don't know why and you don't know where the violence or the tension it's is coming from. It's very suspenseful,
4: yeah. And, and you know, you, you, the, as you say, the the porous boundary between reality and imagination, because then very early on she does this scene where she peels the imaginary orange tangerine and it's not there and then she asks him <clears throat> to take care of her <clears throat> cat, and we never see this cat. <laughs> it's literally
5: Schrodinger's cat.
4: I mean, it's she's, like, was, is it right, yeah, there? exactly. Yeah. Um, you said that you wrote that, didn't you? I That's did. Terrific. And so she's very mysterious. And in fact, when he first meets her, she, he doesn't recognize her. They were in school together, and she says, Well, I had a facelift. So already the, the mask, you know, she's just by, behind this mask. So she's the most elusive of all. And of course, there's that great scene that everybody's talked and written about where she's dancing, and you're hearing the, the propaganda blaring and their, the trombone solo and the two men just don't know what to make of miles davis miles davis and i think there you're imagining each one of them with very different thoughts and not the men not knowing what to make of her and you don't you don't know what to make of her either but she's liberated or somehow in touch with some some realm of the imagination that neither of them is i think
5: well because she says you know if you're ever hungry you can
4: peel a tangerine and
5: i felt that she was sort of imbibing air almost and getting sustenance from it, crying about her trip to Africa, which was beautiful tears, I felt like Mm. she was just, Emotionally you know letting it all out, and the guys are either you know desiring her or smiling like I don't understand why people cry I just don't get it. I find it interesting and I will I find I love to bring this kind of open girl around and have her dance for my friends who are all mocking her. I mean I felt very sort of protective of her, these sort of snotty party girls kind I
4: of have, and she, she was kind of mean to the writer though I mean he did take care of her. <laughs> Cat, <laughs> her imaginary cat, and her real apartment. She
5: totally was using him.
4: Using for him, sure. using him, yeah.
3: I will I will take it with me to my grave. You, you called him a doofus writer, Molly. <laughs> um,
4: well, he says he's a writer. You know, these people... <laughs> people present themselves as writer but it, 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 his claims to writing become very suspicious throughout well, the film
3: but it's interesting he's he's uh, he's the protagonist of this film ostensibly and he just kind of dissolves like yeah. what is what is he <laughs> writing about what does he want to be who he, but, but even like, like,
5: faulkner but, i love faulkner right it's yeah. Like, yeah. Really, but that's what's interesting yeah. this like, kind is of really shiftless
3: written? protagonist yeah. who you know has these mild aspirations days, yeah. you don't know you know if this relationship with the father who's in prison. Um, he really is kind of this nowhere person. And that's, when you watch a film and you have a protagonist, you just, you, you always go with that person no matter what. And in this movie- You keep
4: trying to and you far, can't, yeah. And, it yeah. Gets,
3: and as it gets yeah. stranger and stranger, strange. you realize like, I can't get a handle on this person. And maybe this antagonist, this Steven Union character that I've been distrusting you know, Maybe it's the protagonist I've been following who is the real person to distrust, but it happens like ever so slowly, and there's such rage beneath it, yes. such simmering rage. Yeah. Um, like First Reformed, actually, I think. It's a film that yeah. kind of responds to the world. Yeah, definitely.
4: But the personal one here, because one of the things, his father made him burn his mother's clothes when the mother left them, and so that's, yeah. that sort of creates the, 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 the metaphor, the image of burning, and that rage. You don't see him in a rage, but you have to know it and I think that's, you know, the, the fire, that's the fire underneath him but you don't see it that much he's not that articulate that's so great. Mm. I never made that connection, that's great
1: <laughs> there's so many details in that yeah. movie that just keep on turning so the moment has come at last number one of our best films of 2018 wow. 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 So Zama directed by Lucretia Martel uh, this was my number one movie of the year as well yeah, This was number one on
4: my list. I think it would have been mine if I'd read the book, I mean, if I'd seen the movie again and read the book, which I've done now, mm. before I made my list.
1: Oh, so it improved it with It really me. did. It made
4: such a difference. I mean, her storytelling is so oblique, but the book is brilliant. Um, it's a great book, yeah. What's his name? And, and um, ben- Benedetti, Argentine Benedetti, Argentine writer. Yeah. He's influenced by, not only influenced by Dostoevsky, he, he also faced a firing squad like Dostoevsky, obviously was not killed, and this, he actually wrote this book 20 years before that happened. But he said, uh, according to the preface of the book, he had been invented by Dostoevsky. And the book is very, it's sort of notes of an underground, notes from the underground. He's ta- it's, it's Zama, who's this functionary caught in, this, in limbo in, in, in this unnamed South American country. He's Spanish. He's actually born in uh, American. And so he's an anomaly because he, he's not—he's Spanish blood, but he's born in America, so therefore he's not sort of one thing or the other. And he's trying to get back to Spain, or at least to, to a city. And so the whole movie, and he's... Um, but you realize how much she suggests of him because he's got this three-cornered hat that sort of lopsided, this wig that's always sort of falling, sliding off, and this scarlet coat. And there's a kind of... Um, a tattered majesty in him he's not complete he's ridiculous but he's not completely ridiculous oh, and i perfect. think you get that and that's the, and then the, that's the dostoevsky he's he's inter- he's always rationalizing he's trying to keep his keep his hold on to his dignity mm-hmm. and and but yet he's completely hypocritical he says he doesn't he only likes white women and then of course he's slept with a black woman so it's just his this this man stuck in this limbo um, who's who's never going to get away and how he how he negotiates he
5: completely, it completely. He wants to leave so badly, but he is, um, and uh, the det- I mean the deterioration of him over the course <laughs> was so radical. You're like, I someone get this man out of here. It's Like, you like know? he's being slowly dismantled. It's just being, and his <laughs> eyes are just. It's incredible, but. Uh, you know, and, and, and at the time, obviously, you're going to send a request and it's going to be a year to even get there. You know, it's just a whole different sense of time.
4: And, of course, you it's all this miscommunication between the, 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 the Spaniards and the natives and the different kinds of natives. And, of course, that's part of the storytelling because you don't know, they don't know either. You know, that you're, you're looking at people saying things, and you're not sure what they mean. And he's always doing that, um, thinking thinking they're thinking one thing and they're thinking something else. And there's this woman, the wife of the governor, that he's flirting with and she's sort of playing him along. And you don't know quite what's going on there. And he thinks, and you sort of get this, I think, that he's he's trying to... And yeah, he's, yeah. Uh,
5: he's like incapable of sort of making a connection yeah. with this world. It's too confusing for too him. Too confusing,
4: yeah. Right? Yeah
3: yeah i saw uh, lucretia martel's first film la cienega at the new york film festival in 2001 and it was yeah it, i mean you know that word revelation is overused but i i knew right from the start that this was a very special uh, filmmaker and every time she's made a movie since this is only her fourth film but every single one has been unlike anything i've ever seen and and I, I just in, I'm talking the way that she shoots, the way she uses sound design, the way these her films are cut. There's nothing else like them. Um, and then again, kind of like what I said, the Coriata. I'm just so pleased that this mm-hmm. movie is getting yeah. recognition because it, oh. uh, on the face of it, it could seem really difficult. But it, it's a movie that you really stick with because mm. you, you talk about the kind of like the languidness and the torpor um, as he is kind of like waiting out this terrible, terrible position that he has in this country. But it really takes a turn. It actually becomes. The, the the second half of the film or maybe the last third of the film becomes like sort of a strange action movie um, with some really kind of shocking violence um, and it just kind of turns the whole thing over yeah. and you say like yes there's there's a mental deterioration but then there's like a, there's like a physical deterioration yeah. like, or more than deterioration I suppose I think yeah, that definitely. she's she's always showing you things in a way that no other filmmaker shows you. And, you and can't, she teaches
4: you, can't you how to watch it anyone. as you're watching it. I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. You, you have to sort of put, put yourself in her hands. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I'm. It's. I, it's just great. I think that. Uh, yeah. every, you know, at least our contributors kind of embraced the the innovation and, and kind of often kind of radical form that's that's in this movie. Um, so I hope everyone seeks it out if you haven't already seen it. I think that brings us to the end of, of this year's uh, top 10. Uh, if you want to see uh, what the, the rest of them are, we're going to be posting them tomorrow morning, uh, as well as a, a podcast of this. Um, and we'll also have our top undistributed films. Uh, that, you know, Those are movies that haven't yet come out theatrically. Um, more things to look forward to. Um, and just one final word, we'll have another film comment talk on Thursday. Uh, Matt Dillon will be here uh, for uh, the house that Jack built. Uh, so come come on back. Um, but I'll just end by thanking our wonderful audience and our terrific, terrific panel. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. Thanks.
1: listening to the Film Comment Podcast with music by Greg Egie. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, arthouse and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comment, Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle.